from the beginning, it was seen as quite a complex project. And we actually decided for various reasons to have a really stripped back palette of hard finishes. And we actually sold the client on the idea of having one type of stone throughout the public areas, but you'd use different finishes. That's Neil Andrew. He's head of hospitality at Perkins and Will. Since 2021, he and his team have been on a mission. By 2030, all of its projects will be net zero embodied carbon, as demonstrated through a whole life carbon assessment. This is Design Pod with me, Hamish Kilburn, the editor of Hotel Designs. In this episode, we're putting sustainability back under the spotlight to look at how designers, architects and their clients can also work to become net zero in their projects. Neil joined Perkins and Will just as the world was going into lockdown from the pandemic. Before that, he did long stints at Studio Moren and Woods Baggett. I thought I would start our interview by reading a quote that he provided me back in 2022, when he and his team published Net Zero Now Hospitality, a report that sets out its targets to become net zero in design. So Neil, thank you so much for being on the podcast. How are you and where are you right now? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me, Hamish. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm well, yeah, I'm... Um... I'm actually in the office, uh, our office in Aldgate, which is, well, I say Whitechapel, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I actually, I studied here so I can see my university from across the road from our boardroom, which is nice. Yeah. That, is that I have a bit say, weird? No, I love it, actually. It's a big draw because, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's like a trip down memory lane every time I, I walk here. If I, you know, Petticoat Lane and stuff like that, it's just around the corner. So, yeah, no, it's, it's really nice for me. It's kind of funny. Sorry, jumping straight ahead into the intro, but you know, after uni, I went and lived in the Middle East for nine years, and then I've yeah. So it feels a bit like full circle in a way, you know. Um, I can imagine it does, but it must also yeah. look completely different post university and post everything you've gone through since then. It is, yeah. I think if you drew a line where the campus building sort of start uh, towards the city, that stuff is all it's all changed completely. But as you move down into Whitechapel there's sort of little pockets that remain the same the shame about this area is that back in the day there were a lot of um, performance spaces in Whitechapel uh, you had you know Toynbee Hall but also uh, what was it called the Rhythm Factory or something and all of those all... have gone so yeah well, no, no, there were also loads of um, textile factories as well because I remember well, reviewing a hotel there um, yeah New Road Hotel you may know it um, a few years ago well, so that that probably grew out of the the Huguenots and the, the Jewish community, right? I mean, it, it, the performance spaces have slowly been, you know, as it is with a lot of London, they've been kind of pushed out and converted into flats, unfortunately. But, you know, I still love being in the area. Yeah. And, you know, food's yeah. obviously amazing and stuff. But yeah. I hate it when that happens. I remember when my favourite nightclub from when I was like 18, 19 got converted into flats. I thought it was an absolute crime. <laughs> I mean, it's still it's still going on now. And I know we're going to talk about sustainability a bit. And, you know, we we always talk about it and think about design. But from a community point of view, I mean, Socially, you know, for sure, London's changed a hell of a lot. And when I moved back to the UK, I was um, I kind of fell into working on a lot of large-scale residential developments you know not to not to poo-poo or annoy any 
potential clients who might be listening but you know it is I I, I sort of very quickly realized I was just pricing my, myself and my friends out of the market you know working yeah. on those no it's true those projects yeah. but yeah and also yeah. as as things become more connected like Whitechapel obviously is now connected by the Elizabeth line but things are yes. more expensive yeah. development happens and then next thing you know it, it's unrecognizable to what it was it, it is interesting and i think i was i was in um sort of around shadwell and whopping friday night and you know i think there's some areas there that still haven't been touched so much i think it's interesting i think that hotels because they usually reference sense of place and sense of history really quite yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, and actually, yeah. sometimes it's quite nice for a hotel to, to be the, like the reminder of well, what the history was there. Yeah, and largely that's why I like working on in within hospitality because <clears throat> apartments are apartments, right? But when you build a hotel, you do have opportunities to create spaces that will link to the community as well. So it can actually, you know, generating jobs and, you know, yeah, basically providing some sort of connection and re reinvigorating areas without necessarily just you know forcing compulsory purchase onto lots of people yeah so that's totally. why I quite like it you know yeah <laughs> anyway we've gone on down a tangent already yeah sorry yeah, I love it yeah. no no I love it <laughs> Neil honestly thank you so much for for joining mm-hmm. us I want to start by referencing a quote that you gave us um, when we published your net zero now hospitality which we will go on to talk about exactly mm-hmm. what that means and what that looks like for not just only Perkins and Will moving forward but the interior design industry and architecture industry um, but you said that we have an obligation to ingrained sustainability in our design process not only for the betterment of the planet but also to educate others this doesn't mean that we have to compromise aesthetics in fact through applying this rationale to creativity we can in fact produce our best work now you said that back in 2022 so only last year in terms of how things have developed since that report's gone live and the research has kind of been out there for the industry to read do you still stand by that quote and and is that allowing you to design deeper in in the projects you're working on just for changing Um, the mindset slightly yeah I mean to be honest I I think I've I've always sort of tried to approach design sustainably if we're talking about trying to use local materials and stuff I mean that's always just been the sensible thing to do and why would you not do it for me I think one important thing is that we've tried to do here and we we uh, that was the first thing I attempted with the um, when I designed this the prototype guest room with with Accor and um, that was trying to design a hotel room that you wouldn't actually look at it and think you know oh that's full of sustainable products that's a net zero design is this the guest room that you unveiled at Sleep and Eat a few years ago yeah that's that's right yeah, yeah. so we we've, we've developed it since actually. Um, so that's always... amazing. Let, let me just mark this because you because mm. the, the thing is with these conferences that they have these areas of the show where designers can, um, you know, where they work with designers to create an installation, basically. But it's, it's the idea is it for, to challenge designers to think ahead and to be progressive in the thoughts. So they are yeah. concepts. And a lot of the time they kind of lead to nothing. Um, I think mm-hmm. in the past mm-hmm. they were just there to be statement like and to create as much noise as possible. Whereas yeah. when when you guys unveiled at Sleep and Eat a few years ago, it was at, at a point where things just had to have more meaning and purpose. Yeah. And yeah. what's amazing is that clearly a brand, Accor, one of the leading brands, mm-hmm. has taken your design that you did for that show and it's now being put into an actual 
room. I mean, I don't think I've heard of of that in such a way before. So it's just an amazing moment. I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to talk about this, but <laughs> oh. <laughs> um... well, we we know that much at least. Whether we know, I mean, that's that's been published, so we can we can talk yes. about that. Okay. Maybe yeah, not good, talk good. about the ins and outs no, of it, yeah. but so... just the pre- premise of a concept going beyond a concept and actually. I mean, know, yeah, somewhere. I mean, if you're ever going to have the opportunity to design uh, a prototype room, I'd say sort of June, May, June 2020 was the was probably one of the you know best times to do it because we were all talking about it was that it was the the peak time when everybody was talking about how how things are going to change so much you know during uh, post pandemic, so the room was a response to quite a lot of factors really the hotel rooms having to do much more than just be a hotel room it was around a time where everybody thought that people would never want to use public gyms anymore and stuff like this and you know I think to some extent it's the whole point of hospitality is to mix with other people isn't it I mean you know so it's kind of um, goes against everything that hospitality is trying to do but at the same time it it has a lot of a lot more resilience in the design because it it can do a lot more stuff so beyond that we also just explain the concept of of what that was that you unveiled so that our listeners can understand exactly how radical it was the original room um i'll tell you how where how it came about first off was i was having a chat with the organizer of sleep and eat the year before and I was I I had an idea about um, an AI travel buddy, like an algorithm, basically. Cool. Um, so when you travel, it's a bit like Spotify, where Spotify would predict what song you want to listen to next. But the AI travel buddy knows all of your likes and it tells you where to go and hear your your favorite type of music and cuisine and stuff like this. So. I was talking about that and then I guess the year after the opportunity arose once I'd moved to Perkins and Will to kind of do something so it was driven by we're very big on uh technology here I'd say data technology sustainability uh, some of the, the three things that kind of really drive us forward here and, and almost our USP to some extent and largely why I moved to Perkins and Will so the room had a lot of technology built into it so it, it, you could the room could transform firstly for a sleeping layout um, a working arrangement a working out arrangement or an immersive spa arrangement and we had at the time I'd been looking at there's this I think they're called immersive gym something like this and they ha- they use hyper short throw projection on these you know to, to create an immersive environment and I'd I didn't really think much of it until I did some research into um, immersive meditation and, you know, imagine, you know, super immersive biophilic environments basically for wellness. So, so that's in there. And we also, you know, we, uh, we've had some chats about multi-sensory design. So the room, obviously it has, you know, the obvious circadian lighting systems, but it also has automated aromatherapy as well. So we're trying to design like on all these different levels, And besides that, all of the materials in the space, you know, originally the the original concept had um, stuff like 3D printed bio plastic walls that were made of biomass, but you mix in wood chippings that were from 
oak wine barrels you know so the, the, and a lot of the the stuff that we put in there originally is actually not not ready for market still so no, some of sure. it some of it's been taken you know we had bioluminescent organisms in the ceiling and stuff you know <laughs> so that that stuff's not quite fit for purpose just yet but um some of it has and we've evolved it into a, a version which which will hopefully be built um i think there were no rules back in 2020 <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know and also i think that was the first sleep and eat that where the rooms were purely designed digitally they weren't going to be built so you know Reardon Smith their room as well they had a bed that moved into the ceiling and transformed and stuff their, their room was really good um you know because you could kind of broad brush thinking you know because you, you 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 knew that you didn't have to actually build this thing so yeah that was that was that was a great experience so that was that was the um that prototype and we've recently done another prototype for a, a brand called um beyond apart hotels with a with the client james fry and he he had a similar kind of approach to me really which is that you shouldn't walk into the room and think oh this is a net zero room you know you've got recycled yeah. such and such here and everything screams the world is changing but actually there's ways around it to, to just design a very nice aesthetically pleasing space using sustainable materials really um yeah i, I think that's it and I, I also i personally think that if you were to be given a project and then you created that brief and gave yeah. the client half of the things would be stripped out like the first mm -hmm. thing would go was circadian lighting we've already spoken to dpa lighting about circadian lighting and that is always the first thing to go yeah but the yeah, fact yeah. that you were able to showcase a finished concept mm. you know and maybe you didn't have to build it but it was still there and people still were reading about it um, yeah without the circadian lighting therefore you see the value in all those elements and then if you're going to be on board then you have to be on board with all of it i guess mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. a nice way of it's a nice approach i love i love interviewing you neil because you always tell me like oh i'm not sure if we're meant to say this or not <laughs> I, I can't keep up to uh, yeah i don't know anymore <laughs> so let's let's go back to was it 2019 that you arrived at perkins of will or 2020 uh 2020 actually yes yeah, so i thought I joined, it was 2020 I, I so you literally joined as the world was about to shut down so i remember and... yes yeah so i joined the 9th of march 2020 and i remember uh in one somehow in one week i managed to get my first R, uh, fee proposal out the door thinking <laughs> this is great you know hit the ground and then i remember having a meeting with my my managing director at the time and he kind of said you know are you concerned at all? And I was like, no, no, I think, you know, <laughs> no idea really. And then, um, yeah, so it was, it was a crazy time to start, you know? But I guess it, in a way, I mean, all of these weaknesses can be turned into opportunities. Firstly, everyone was dealing with the same thing. Therefore everyone's on the same level, but also it yeah. really allows you to, to see the business and see the projects through a different lens and I, almost well, challenge your your conventional thinking over everything to see what which is obviously what you did with the with the sleep and eat concept well you know i i joined the company um and we had a team of about 15 people i think working on um a couple of big projects and what and very quickly unfortunately we you know at one point it was just myself and one person so i came in with these massive aspirations of running a team and then you find yourself back on site designing and delivering a hotel. And that, to be honest, I mean, that's what I love doing anyway. But yeah, it was a real kind of 
you know another wake-up call wasn't it really but mm. funnily enough we managed to somehow managed to win a couple of projects as well towards the end of that year so um yeah it worked <laughs> you know I think it's again it's just by really just trying to push through it isn't it and, looking know. back to those years honestly I mean we oh, were hosting yeah. you know how many things we were hosting that's when we first met really yeah. we were doing virtual conference after virtual conference virtual awards like yeah no, I look back now yeah. and just think it's, it's just I could not do it again I don't obviously we could and we would but it's just like the it's almost a bit like a swear word those years it's just like let's just but, leave it in the past and you know move not, on not, from it not to be too doom and gloom but I actually found last year harder in a way than um dealing with the fallout you know mm. the, the year on or whatever year and a half on I felt that found that actually more difficult bouncing back because you know you look at the market now and it's it's kind of crazy well obviously we all know about the, the cost of living crisis but the uh the crisis of resource like it's just hard to hire people yeah. at times you know no so, yeah, and i think everyone was playing catch up as well like there were so yeah. many things happening yeah, yeah. last year and there was obviously limited budget but there were so many things happening still so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's mental but it seems like an apt time for the industry to be changing their mindset into mm -hmm. I mean, we've, we've already had sustainability as a topic in this in this series. And one thing that's definitely shone through, we had Richard Holland um, on the on the podcast from Holland Harvey Architects and the social element of sustainability and, and what we can do as an industry, not just in interiors and architecture, but in hospitality as one to, mm -hmm. to really connect with not only the people that are checking in and out, but the people in our neighborhood as well. And I feel as if that's a big part of the whole net zero um hospitality report that was generated is to really mm. think about not only the materials but also how how we engage with those materials and what happens to them moving forward socially yeah. as well within hospitality how people are behaving and reacting with spaces maybe could you just break down that report in its in sort of chapters as to what you were looking at when or what perkins and will was looking at when they generated that because from it you you're launching a database for the industry I believe that's yeah yeah we are so you know I mean to be frank it's it's been a challenge to um the roadmap that we set out was quite ambitious so it is a constant challenge to, to keep up with that I mean from um from a social aspect it's 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 difficult to quantify that isn't it but you know I think we do have at Perkins and Will we've, we've kind of we like to well we've been at the, the sort of forefront of sustainable design for like 25 years or so because we're such a large practice and um we have a living design ethos which is kind of made up of I think it's five petals so it's not just design but it is well-being inclusion diversity and, it, and it's all of these elements that that kind of so wellness and sustainability is kind of you know we see it as under one banner but again it's hard to you know quantify that stuff what we do here and the the, the pledge kind of focused on this really for me the crux of it is the reporting system that we do so before at the outset of a project you know stage one or two we will write a carbon brief like ideally you sit down with a client and you actually identify their aspirations and you know what certifications they want and then from the stages from when we produce a stage two presentation and then three and four we can produce a life carbon analysis for that so we can actually track the footprint of the design and you know see where 
that we can do better and try and improve that. Uh, stage five, that that monitoring could, can go on. But then in the end of it, we can produce, I don't know if a lot of other interior designers are working in Revit, but we're we're doing that here and we can actually produce almost like a bill of quantities you know because it's in, like it, a love it hate but it, it well that's though, the thing it? yeah i mean people love Revit, cad <laughs> that's the thing and you know i love cad as well if i'm honest i mean you know <laughs> revit is it is difficult and it's very difficult hiring designers yeah hosp hospitality designers that use revit so usually we have to we have to teach them on the train them on on the job um, well, they'll say that they know how to do it but actually in reality yeah, know, maybe not so much they get caught out <laughs> quite quickly but we so you know we're using revit you can produce a bill of quantities and you can actually identify you know how many mixers they have from such and such and they have this is the supplies details and after x years they do a take back clause although we were with um, Furniture Supply last week and they raised an, another interesting point, which is, the, you know, when you lease pieces of furniture mm. uh, to send it back to the, the the manufacturer, if it's in a different country, again, it's going to have another carbon. Of course. So it's, it, there's so many it's never ending. to consider. Yeah. But our, I'd say our really our USP here and what I've been sort of, you know, um, trying to showcase is that is that we do have disability to to track the carbon footprint as we as we progress through the, the project basically so from a design point of view um that's how we do it here we do have obviously we're looking for you know really the, the best sustainable materials we can find and the best products that we can find um i think you have to you have to dig quite deeply when you're talking about brassware you know, because of all the hidden components, uh, furniture, you know, what are they held together with? And that that stuff's quite hard to, to get hold of. But it's funny again, isn't it? Because you could put in the most sustainable mixer on a wash basin, but it doesn't look as nice as the one over here. And the one over here will stay there for 15 years. And this one might get ripped out after yeah, three years if someone doesn't like it, you know. So, so does does that come into it then, the argument of longevity? Because I know yes, luxury yeah. furniture manufacturers that would say, yeah, okay, so we're we're using, you know, material that can't be broken down as easily. However, it mm -hmm. will last four times as long. Yeah, exactly. It does, yeah. And another thing, think about... And cost four times as much. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but that, unfortunately, that is the case, isn't it? You know, yeah. sustainable stuff. Even you're looking at, you know, produce like good food that's grown ethically just costs more money. I mean, that's just. But then there's a whole other. I mean, we did a um, one of the best roundtables I've ever done is with a brand mm. that has famously no money for marketing and mm -hmm. spent some money with us to do a round table and for us to do it well because all of their money goes on technology because they're a lighting brand mm -hmm. and also ensuring that they are tracing the ethical routes back from the products and the materials yeah. so while we're talking about sustainability and we're talking about tracking we talk about carbon and mm -hmm. um, is there also effort to ensure that the materials you're using and the manufacturers you're using are ethically being sourced and manufactured in factories whether they're you know abroad or or not is that conversation also happening because that was really inspiring to me how difficult it is to actually attain that information because you can you're only being told something from a supplier and then you kind of have to believe it there's not really you know unless you go to the factory and see for yourself which isn't exactly you know doable when it's abroad 
I mean, it's it's a tricky one. I mean, it's absolutely a consideration, and yeah, those conversations are always had. I mean, if you're, if usually it's hard, I think, for a designer who then has a budget to stick to. I think what's quite inspiring is seeing hotel brands that are also have also got like design communities within their studios such as Ennis Moore for example if they yeah. put out a pledge to be conscious and then you know they're controlling their own budget so it's kind of fair enough but I think it's hard for interior designers to then say to clients okay well we have to go down this route and it's going to be this much more but only because of this reason and obviously well look, money talks. ultimately I mean firstly there are regulatory uh, bodies right that, that govern that stuff so you know with the sustainably sourced timber stuff like this as interior designers yeah we do ultimately we're making recommendations like if a client wants to veto something or if something is so expensive we will push back and say you know that's not our recommendation I guess you just uh, have to only... give all the information that you you've got and I think these well, days only... interior designers have to go deeper there's in, only so much you can do materials yeah well, no, the, totally the, the trick is really and I, I i guess you know speaking from experience if you know where a project's going to end up there are ways to kind of design a project from the outset that you can put certain strategies in place so that the end product ends up a certain way which ticks a lot of different box i don't know if that really makes it i can give us i can give an example which is yeah, when, I was at, um, when i was at Dex, dexter moran a studio studio moran it's called now we worked on the westin from the beginning it was it was seen as quite a complex project and we actually decided for various reasons to have a really stripped back palette of hard finishes and we actually sold um the client and Marriott on the idea of having one type of stone throughout the public areas but you'd use it in different finishes mm -hmm. and the same with the timber one type of timber but we do three different staining light middle mid and dark tones and what that meant was it was just it was it was a lot easier for us when it came to specification and you, you saved money and everything was just a lot simpler because it was coming from less suppliers and we almost at the end of each present stage presentation we would go back at myself and my colleague Anya and we'd actually edit the finishes boxes down so if you if you have a sort of strategy in place from the you have to kind of think that some some designers like to design like in a maximal fashion is that right maximalist that's the maximalist, word yeah and you know I'm not <laughs> claiming to be a minimalist as such but I do think design serves a purpose beyond just aesthetics right and you need to hit certain criteria in our industry and there's smart ways to go around doing that whilst maintaining an aesthetic that you're happy with does that make sense I think yeah and I think also in hospitality specifically you want to walk into a room and you want to capture a feeling now that feeling you don't want that feeling to be to be overwhelmed which is what maximalists would would do whereas yeah. you want everything to kind of have a, a touch point everything to kind of feel as if it's ingrained into its location and mm -hmm. also makes sense right it's almost like it just it's just there it's like, yeah. it's like what they say about good lighting you won't recognize good lighting it's kind of the same with design you don't necessarily recognize it but it's more a feeling that you get
This series of Design Pod is sponsored by Geberit. As someone who sees the industry from a unique perspective and sees what's happening through a wide lens, I see sustainability somewhat losing its meaning. Therefore, the term any claims need to be backed up with science, data, and perhaps accolades. For the third year in a row, the Geberit Group has received a platinum award from EcoVadis for its sustainability management. It places Geberit among the top 1% of all companies listed by EcoVadis across all industries and countries and demonstrates Geberit's comprehensive, systematic and long-term sustainability management plans. If you want to achieve something, if you want to specify, you know, sustainable materials here and there, but you know they're going to be expensive, you have to figure out from the onset where you're going to save the money yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these projects now, they obviously have exposed concrete here and there. So I presume, you know, you That's can save money by doing this. But yeah, I think also what I found, um, we I keep referencing her, but we did a, an episode with Rachel, and I promise you, Neil, I'll be referencing you in episodes to come as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, she was talking. I know. I know you know a lot about Rachel, and she's um, mm-hmm. she was talking about giving clients two budgets, giving them a, a monetary budget and a, and a carbon budget, which is essentially yeah. what you guys do as well. So that's mm-hmm. kind of common mm-hmm. practice. But by doing that, it's all, all of a sudden it's like it's not just money, but it's like okay, so we 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 if we want a, a big impactful lobby that we want to be grand and you know if it's in the middle east or whatever it needs to be you know um glamorous then mm-hmm. fine we can put x amount of carbon into the lobby but that means in the guest rooms we're going to have to strip back and mm-hmm. all of a sudden mm-hmm. clients understand that it just seems quite logical for me for the, to have those steps and for every designer to to think like that yeah it, it does but i think that obviously probably comes easier with... said than done well it just you know it just just comes with it and this is going to sound you know not a brag but it does come with experience right and and actually having the what's the word i think the, the confidence, confidence as well yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. and the that comes from experience because you can you know. say you know this works or this really doesn't work well i learned quite early on because i i started off my career in the middle east right and i was actually i was telling someone this the other day i had to present to a sheikh when i was 27 a shake oh of God. a shake of Abu Dhabi, third in line, I think, and everyone else was terrified of this guy, and I just thought I had I my experience of living in the Middle East was a bit different. I didn't have the typical expat life. Most of my friends were locals, Arabs, African, mm-hmm. Middle Eastern people. Like I, I didn't really just I didn't just hang around with you know British people, and. Um, I think at the end of the day, everyone's human being and they just want an honest, they just want to be treated honestly. If you're scared yeah. of someone and you're not going to tell them the way that your your honest opinion, I mean, that's literally what they pay you for, right? So Absolutely. I've always said rightly or wrongly, you should just be honest with clients. And yeah. you know, I've had many awkward conversations over the years, you know, but um, yeah, I, think I mean, that's my, that's my take on it. I think the fact that you your approach to design is human centric like a lot mm. of designers but also your approach to business must be human centric as well it's like you're not trying to you know pull the wool over the client's eyes you're telling them this for a reason and that reason yeah, yeah. is because in you know four months time that will expose itself as a problem and you're you're employed and paid to um you know create solutions to those problems hopefully ahead of them presenting themselves yeah so we've been working with the energy and environment alliance um i'm not sure if you know too much oh, i think you told me about EA. this last time we we saw yeah. each other so, so we have sort of fairly regular 
meetings where what what the EEA has done they've 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 managed to kind of pull together a collective of hoteliers and brands um, who are kind of feeding them data on their hotels how they perform from an energy standpoint and we're we're on the board the sort of technical advisory board and um we're, we're working to eventually define sort of the hospitality standards for for Briam. Actually, no. What's really relevant is the whole idea of collaboration with with that in yes. mind. You know, yeah, collaborating yeah, yeah. with people, not just interior designers or architects or even hoteliers, but actually associations that are able to pull this data together and you know use your expertise, but also you benefiting that in order to give that to clients. And I guess then this all makes sense. So okay, w- good. when you then go back to the client, you've then got the backing of not just yourself or people within your studio. You've then you know because you're part of something. Bigger, and that I think is what we're all trying to do in this industry in order to work towards somewhere that feels meaningful and together and well, yeah. you know, stable I remember with this net zero journey. It's essentially becoming more and more important to funders, right? The, to have ESG written into projects so they don't end up with stranded assets down the line. I think quite often now you'll find clients actually come to you and ask ask you how to deal with this i mean we've kind of fallen into the trap where we offer we essentially offer sustainability consultancy and it's sort of embedded within our design fee to to some extent you know i know that a lot of your projects are um under nda what can you tell us about what work that you're currently looking at at the moment in the office now yeah we are working with with accor on a prototype Mm -hmm. we've just finished the other prototype uh, with Beyond Apartments, and hopefully we'll we'll be involved in some some rollouts. We've just started a new project last week, actually, in the Middle East. And you know, I know the Middle East is obviously not the most sustainable place in the world, but at times you have the opportunity there to actually test out you know technologies that you wouldn't necessarily have the budget for in the UK. We're also working on kind of a sort. Of, it's funny because we're obviously we are a, a, a massive company. Um, but we work on quite small projects. So we're actually working on a, a small, well, it's quite large as restaurants go, but it's um, a speakeasy project in uh, New York at the moment. We're working well, that sounds on. fun. It's quite nice. Yeah, yeah. So lots of bits, really. We have a residential project in Baker Street that should be finished fairly soon. We have another residential project built to rent, really, in Birmingham that will be moving on to site quite soon. Oh, and... We've just finished one design competition. Now I've jumped onto another design competition. So we're, we're yeah, quite, wow, quite, quite a busy. bit, really. And, yeah. and with all these projects, with mm. I, I don't want to, by any means, suggest that things have changed too drastically since this report has been you know, launched because I know that as a studio you've been thinking this way for a long time and you personally have as well for as long Mm -hmm, as you've been mm -hmm. a designer but has it become easier to design these spaces knowing that there's more transparency between what you're doing and the the approach and the your way of tackling the design do people understand it and a client's on board more because I guess that they're partnering with you for a reason when they sign the partnership it has I wouldn't say that every client comes to us purely for the you know for our sustainable angle i think we're still at a point where you know but it's understood that that's part of the package it is yeah i mean i make that very clear um (laughs) you know um 
I mean, some people have come to us and purely asked for sustainability advice. And we say no, because, you know, we're designers at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, that's what and also do. there's no point, like, you know, you can have a sustainable project or a sustainable material and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. fine. But if you just say to the client that it's just or you just picked it because it's sustainable, there's there's no meaning yeah. in that or purpose at all. If it, but, it doesn't answer to why it should be there then the big one for us is we're still we're still learning as we go as we work through the stages and we we quite often do we almost impose our own revisions on our own work because a new material will come out you know if if a, so we you know the, the residential project in Birmingham we actually designed it sort of by spring 2021 I think so you can imagine it hasn't yet moved on to site so then all of these new materials have come out since and every time we go back and review it we might make a little tweak you also yeah. then when you start costing these things we're learning every time that's going to be a problem later down the line so I think it's definitely getting easier and you mentioned earlier that we have this database of material so the office in London originally grew out of a sort of uh, more of a workplace interiors company called Pringle and Brandon. So they they were acquired by Perkins and Will. And then they around that, they've built architecture and then hospitality, sort of urban design. We even have a, a sort of retail arm and strategy company called Portland as well. So the workplace team, corporate interiors, they work with, you know, Google, TikTok, Facebook, Netflix in Fitzrovia. They've got all of these materials as well. And we and and the idea was, as you said, we were building this database. The um it's a database of materials. And you know, it's probably up to about 400 now, I want to say, but we we were intending to make this an open share platform and we still need to figure out how to how to do that in the best way possible. Mm. Um, but we're kind of, I guess we're in the in the great position here where we can we learn from the other teams, you know. We've and also got... working on projects like that, as you were saying about the Middle East, you're able to yeah. test all that technology and test what works in workspace and then kind of filter it down to other industries well, as well. In, yeah, in, so interestingly, we're quite big in um, healthcare as well. We do a lot of hospitals. And, you know, I lent one of, one of our team worked on, you know, a hospital for a couple of weeks just to add, like to add a little layer add of softness, yeah. you know. And I'm not saying <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying I want to do hospitals all the time, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think it's important. Hospitality goes beyond just hotels, but, you know, yeah. saying that I love hotels. So sometimes you can spread yourself too thinly across different sectors. It's a really but... interesting analogy that you just, because um, we had Ren Lokes on, on the podcast and she was mm -hmm. saying how it was her experience in hospitals when she was younger and how clinical and how yeah, you know, yeah. white canvas they were that spurred her on to wanting to design better spaces that fit yeah. with purpose and just a bit more fun. You know, you know, you know what I'd be interested in actually is a study. I'm convinced that since the pandemic sorry this is a bit off topic here but no i'm interested I'm, I'm convinced that my eyesight has suffered drastically because we've all been on laptops in darker rooms at home you know i love dark environments hospitality <laughs> typically a dark maybe with a few strobe right? lights yeah yeah uh, well that was friday friday night but, um you know when you're in um I'd be interested to see a study, of, you know, comparing someone in, in a co-working environment with more of a hospitality themed lighting versus what you can see behind me, which is that blanket, you know, office level of 
task lighting essentially um yeah i'd be interested to learn about that because i'm sure it's affected me big yeah. time you know and then and, my massive frames like you tell well, i work from home with crap lighting but you know the one <laughs> the one thing i've learned though actually and we we think as hospitality designers um you know we were working on a couple of commercial buildings here and you kind of think oh we've been designing hotels this will be a walk in the park but it's actually not because you know all those clients have different a different set of aspirations and a different way of that they're used to working with other types of consultants so it's quite um it's quite a challenge actually to straddle some of those other sectors at times you know I think it's important to understand them and understand how they operate but then I think it's really even more important to collaborate with the experts like lighting yeah. designers for example with you know a, an, an amazing lighting designer with an amazing interior designer is only going to ever create an amazing space yeah 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 and I don't think you could have one without the other these days and create the same amount of layers as what you get when you see that collaboration and you see yes, that yeah. the, when the relationship's good between the designer, architect, other consultants, you know, and the client, you can really, as I review hotels and spaces, I can really see the layers sort of, yeah, yeah, they yeah. almost come away from each other and I can just see it as, as they've all sort of been piled up to, to create the space that they're in. I think um, if, you're, if you don't consider lighting when you're developing when you're thinking about how a space is going to be laid out if you don't think about the lighting as you're kind of developing that I think you're um I, I don't see it as a complete you're not mm. really thinking through it as an as an interior designer you know and I guess that again that comes from experience right of walking into spaces that you've built and the lighting's been done badly or or whatever but um yeah I always think about that I, I'm fascinated with lighting I'd actually love to be a lighting designer to be honest so yeah <laughs> No, I can see that in you. <laughs> well, I've got a friend um, actually. Oh, sorry, go on. Go on. No, go on, go on. Now, one of my best friends, he um he used to he used to work for it's funny, you DP you mentioned DPA earlier. There's DPA a D, lighting, D, yeah. You work for DPA but in Dubai. I don't know if it's the same company, Oh, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. They all I, they, I think they all learned they're all part of each other. And then um I can't remember who the guy was, but he went out in Dubai and he heads up the studio there. Uh okay. funny how everyone knows each other in this industry, well, isn't it? He, he worked there originally, but the whole time he was actually he wanted to be an artist. And he's gone off now, and he's oh. he's he's been doing art, lights sort of lighting and mixed media art for uh, quite a while actually. Like he had a piece in the Victoria Miro Gallery in um, Angel, and oh, I can't remember the other. There was another. There used to be a gallery on Margaret Street. You know where I think it's all related, though, especially yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, it's all related, especially with the the conversation of the metaverse, wherever we're oh heading. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so, but you know, at the moment with Oculus, you know, you're you're being pumped white light into your eyes. That's not that's not yeah. good for you. But you're you're led to believe you're in an immersive space. So technology needs to evolve left, right, and center. And actually, in order to do that, we need all these specialists coming together in order to enter areas that or territories they're not necessarily too comfortable in, but have yeah, an opinion yeah, yeah. on how they can make it better. You, have you spoken to many people about the metaverse? Yes, I did a whole right. panel discussion on it, literally so, at Hicks. And we've just had um, Palavi Dean on the podcast as well, who from Raw Studio, she's she's yeah. amazing. She's just, I think she's operated, she's got a few spaces in the metaverse now. Um, and she was also designing for client banks specifically in the metaverse. Oh my Lord. So can I, know, I send, can I send a digital twin of myself to a digital twin of, a hotel and then they will tell me if i like it 
Yeah, I think the idea of the metaverse is more for it to enhance. It's almost like not seeing it as a location or a space, but actually seeing it as like an enhanced website. So it's a great way for brands to. So, for example, if you're checking into a hotel instead of this is a really, really rubbish example. But if you're going up the elevator or the lift, then obviously there's like an interesting way of going up. And then you kind of, you know, if you get given something in the metaverse, then something will arrive in the in the post to you. Do you know what I mean? It's like, right, it's right, those right. ways of being immersive and, and creating those disconnected moments, I guess, which is weird because it's all connected. But, but it's going to be more than also one. a great way. But yeah, but also, oh yeah, totally. There's a few worlds, but also a great way of for brands and I would say architects to really understand right. how spaces work. So you can yeah, kind of yeah, test yeah. them out in the metaverse for them to then be built in real mm-hmm. life. We're, we're a very junior infant stage of where this is heading yeah the one yeah. thing that i would say is that just understanding that terminology differently just mm-hmm. takes it onto a different meaning and actually when you think about the world i mean let's face it neil if we really are living in a environmentally conscious business of hospitality then there will be no more hotels that are popping up because we don't really need any more i know that the demand's there That's... but in terms of the way we live mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so it's an interesting Things have to evolve. Of course they that's, do. That's the conversation that people don't really want to have. Well, know. this is the annoying um, thing because I sit on so many panels and you do as well. Mm, I mean, you sit on my panels and I sit there and I talk about sustainability. And now I've kind of got to the point where I'm not, I'm not complete, I'm not a cynic, but I do think that it's a bit hypocritical for hospitality brands to sit on the panel and say, we're, we are so sustainable. We've got this initiative. We've got this, that, and the other. And then for me to read in a press release two days later that they're launching mm-hmm. 17 hotels in the next two years. Mm-hmm. no matter what materials you pump into those buildings it's not sustainable yeah and i, mean, I the- think the biggest part of sustainability for me is the fact that it allows people like you designers to to think deeper and to you know create i mean we can only do the best of what we've got right and i yeah. feel as if we're creating amazing spaces and the value of those spaces far outweigh some of the time the the harm that they're obviously going to naturally have on on the environment mm-hmm. because they are creating those you know not not just in terms of like mental health as well like these spaces are now wellness centers and that's incredible and that's where hospitality should be focusing on is to create really meaningful footprints as opposed to kind of just taking over cities and having as many hotels in one one urban space i, got, I don't know what i don't know what to say really if, i know I you like, can I only like say anything, so much <laughs> i feel like anything i say is potentially gonna lose me you know no no not at all, not at all. but it's 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 nice to see that the focus is changing but it's also nice to see that the focus is changing in order to, like, I don't know, discover new materials or to make a space more meaningful and impactful. It's not, it's not, well, we're not changing the world. We just, we can't really do that with, with the tools we've got right now. You know, people, there is a lot of hypocrisy in the world. And, you know, at so many panels I attend or award ceremonies and I have to bite my tongue and just say, don't, you can't say that because you know you're going to upset people and I need to pay salaries over here but you're you're right I mean yeah there's a lot of hypocrisy in that one thing I found very interesting was last year I attended um you know the lobby uh conference in Copenhagen and this was like almost life-changing for me and it was the first conference where I they actually got some Gen Z people up on stage and asked them what they thought about hotels because ultimately some hotel people they don't want to hear that youngsters don't really like they don't really like hotels and what's going to happen mm. to these hotels you know we're still building more and more what's the next the next model 
That's and I, I, I fall into the category of um, thinking that I'm a young person when I think about hotels, but now I'm in my 30s. I'm like, no, I need to be talking to like the 12 year olds. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. You're right. You know, um... but it's amazing how quickly time goes on. I mean, you've been at Perkins and Will for three years. Three that years, must yeah. have been the quickest yeah. three years ever, considering everything that's happened. And God, lots yeah. of you've been managed to achieve lots in that time. And, um, you know, the opening of the Metropole London, for example, like that's mm. a great feat. I, I had to put together a presentation. So we've just got a new managing director. Um, she started here uh, two weeks ago and I had to put together a presentation of, you know, uh, basically our work. And actually I was thinking, wow, yeah, we actually have covered quite a lot of ground but also I'm kind of blessed in a way that I have the autonomy here to go after the the projects I think are really interesting so we're not just you know churning out lots of hotels but the projects we're doing are very diverse and they each have their own specific qualities that we kind of drill down into we also we get involved at the front end of projects as well so we've done a few sort of concept master plans as well where we um we kind of map out the guest experience from the get-go, you know. So we looked at one um, with a potential site, agritourism development in Portugal that we're trying to, you know, uh, hopefully we'll get moving this year. And that's a site that would have, you know, two hotels and a sports academy and lots of res- residences and stuff, you know. I guess it has, I don't know, has it gone quickly? or I, so? I, I think... I mean, my comprehension it's, of time it's been is a weird, now. Yeah, me too. And I can't work out what happened in 2020 to 2019. No. Um, but all what I, I, I do, what I do think now is that, yeah, me too. Don't worry, <laughs> we're all there together. But I do feel like it, there's space to reflect and to see like where, where the next three years are taking us. Like I think the yeah. next three years will be more meaningful than the past three years. Because I think we're always, as you said, we're always learning. You, you go back to projects all the time and you're tweaking. Like that's yeah. that's the essence of what design should be. And mm-hmm. there are no, and the issue with this topic is there, there are no answers. You know, a lot of architects have come from science, come from maths, like they want an answer, but there's no, there is no answer. Everyone has to work together and then come up with solutions that work for the clients and sometimes individually for the clients as well. I think, yeah, unfortunately, we're, we're heading to a point where as a, a species, we just have to kind of slow down. Uh, yeah. and everything you look at ai right we're talking about the metaverse the effect that ai is going to have on artists and musicians you can write an essay now just you know you can type in two lines and it'll generate an entire essay for you it'll generate artwork it can generate music for you so i mean so many musicians are going to start to you know there'll be less work out there eventually Uh, and less authentic craft as well I mean that's the whole value of craftsmanship mm. is to to see something that someone else can't replicate but at least you know we lived in the 90s and um, you you seem to have you've lived in (laughs) I don't know if you do it strategically but you seem to have been at like so like Dex Moran for example obviously Studio Moran is a great company to work for it's amazing but I just think you were there during its heyday you know and Uh, like being uh, in well maybe I don't know maybe not but to buy it for nine years at the right time you know like now it would be the same as when it was when you were there you've you've been lucky lucky. in that respect yeah Yeah. I mean you know very lucky if I've got some some of some crazy stories really but I um I moved to Dubai we'll with, over a pint yeah I had like <laughs> when I moved to Dubai I had 200 pounds left in my overdraft and that was it wow. I had nothing yeah and um but I was very lucky because at the time my, my that terrify you 
No, I was so young and naive. I had no idea really what I was doing. And I kind of just used to go with the flow at that time, you know. Yeah, there's a lack of that, isn't there? I think also (laughs) due to like, I'm not going to bleat on about the pandemic because it is just a boring talking point. But, you know, I think lots of things happened during that time that were against anyone's control. And people have been scared to, or maybe not, but I I feel as if there's fear to like jump ship into another organization in a, in a, in a position that could be lost. So for example, like going freelance, for example, do you know what I mean? Things, things change. Whereas back when you were in Dubai, like that, that led to so many things within your career and you you developed personal development as well. There was so much more value than just having like 200 pounds less of your overdraft. I mean, that just terrifies me. The the one thing it taught me, I think, um, was that, uh, and I hate to say this, but on the whole in the, in the Brit, in Britain, uh, as someone who's lived abroad and then come back, like we are, you know, our dreams get trampled on in this country. quite early on and um when you when I was living in Dubai and maybe it's just because it was over there and you know I'm I'm not 100% pro Dubai obviously it's it there's good things and bad things I think it gets an incredibly bad rep in terms of the the some of the creative stuff that's happening there obviously the social some of the social stuff that's happening there's horrific there you're encouraged in some of these in some different environments to think big and to dream about stuff right and um you know, I came from the sort of suburbs, High Wycombe, a lot of people there just, you, you don't get to dream big, do you know what I mean? And I think from from that, it, it's taught me that there are opportunities out there. When you see opportunities, you have you have to take it, you know? And I've always said to, to people, if you like designing restaurants, if someone gives you a restaurant, do the best job you can do. And then the next time you'll get more and more restaurants it's just rolling on from that and I I don't know I try and inspire my designers like that really to take take risks Mm. you know I I listen to well I listen to a lot of podcasts about you know mental health and also um design design well well, to be honest yeah all of them obviously (laughs) (laughs) uh but there was what was I listening to last week it was about you know if you're if you're scared to make mistakes yeah making mistakes is the is a, is the biggest part of your growth you know i love those sound bites i was listening to diary of a ceo which is a great podcast oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. um davina mccall was on it saying that she heard from the steadmans once saying you know you can change any negative scenario into a positive by having a negative thought and then saying but luckily and then thinking about yeah. something good that's happening yeah, you know, yeah, it's so yeah. simple but yeah. sometimes we just need that medium to kind of you know, resonate but I, honestly, i think you've I, got it you've got it there dream big that's that's the i mean the message. but that's the message know. with this topic as well it's like it's a it's a topic that's full of criticism skepticism and actually you know all you're asking people to do is to mm-hmm. to to think big and come up with ideas and to collaborate with people and that's that's the message well yeah and i mean again we're having another conversation one of my other mantras is to never if as a as a designer always try and think like a child right always try and you know work through as many different options as you can i get the feeling you don't find that hard um (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not sure how to answer that really (laughs) i answered it for you it's fine yeah no i Um, love uh i mean you know design is supposed to be fun at the end of the day isn't it why would you come to work if it's not if it's not fun yeah so um you know yeah yeah anyway neil it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you um can't wait to catch up with you in person and um 
yeah net zero now hospitality um is the report and i guess watch this space for the database and projects to come absolutely cheers hamish thank you fantastic yeah. bye 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 cheers bye Aside from getting a really clear idea about how Neil and his team at Perkins and Will work, the message that he has to the industry in this interview, to not be afraid to think big, I think it just couldn't be more apt right now. I want to thank Neil for his honesty and his time, and I really look forward to seeing how the projects that he referenced in this interview progress as the studio moves closer towards its net zero goals. This episode was produced by Mel Yates. The series sponsor is Geberit, and I'm your host, Hamish Kilburn. If you enjoyed this episode, then please feel free to subscribe to be reminded when the next episode drops. And join us next time for our final episode of the series, where I'll be speaking to John Williams from Space Invader about unconventional narratives in design.